Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Everybody, welcome. You are here with us at Friends in Fiction, and we are so glad. I am Kristen Harmel, and I will be your host tonight. My latest novel is The Book of Lost Names. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey, and my latest book is Feels Like Falling. I'm Patty Callahan Henry, and my latest is Becoming Mrs. Lewis. You might notice that we are a few hosts down tonight. <laughs> we did not kick them, them out. Sort of a, a recent a recent development. So Mary Kay Andrews had to be elsewhere tonight and sends her love. Um, Mary Alice was supposed to host tonight, but her internet is out. So I am taking over the hosting duties, and I apologize in advance for um, any insanity that I... I <laughs> bring upon us this evening. I think, that's, I think that's what people are here for now. I think they like the insanity. So that's yes, good. The, the messier, the better. So here we right. are trying to muddle our way through without the two Marys. But in their place is the more than capable Karen Slaughter, who happens to be a New York Times and number one <laughs> international bestselling author. And tonight we are celebrating Karen's hot new release, The Silent Wife, which just debuted on the New York Times list tonight. I believe at number two or at n- number 10 on the print list and number four on the combined. Is that right, Karen? Congratulations. You. Yes, you're correct. That is amazing. Good for you. Thank and this you. was such a tough week too. Such a, such a lot of books came out, such a crowded list. So fantastic. Good for you. Um, Mary Alice also left us this wonderful quote from your starred review from Booklist, which is Slaughter adds depth to her best-selling series with the investigations of old and current cases while also advancing the key personal relationship, another slam dunk. So congratulations on your slam dunk. Thank you. <laughs> so Karen Slaughter is one of the world's most popular and acclaimed novelists. She is published in wow, 120 countries? Oh, I, that's amazing. With more than 35 million copies sold across the globe. But she's a southern girl, a native of Atlanta. Her standalone novel Pieces of Her is in development with Netflix and the Grant County and Will Trent series are in development for television. The Silent Wife is the 10th book in the Will Trent series, but if you are one of the few who have not read the series, The Silent Wife can be read as a standalone. You all know out there that every week we select an independent bookstore to highlight in our effort to support our indies, which is such an important thing, especially now, especially when so many of them had to go through having their doors closed and things like that. And this week, Karen chose a bookstore that is actually a favorite of all of us, Foxtail Books in Woodstock, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. So it's a home store for Karen and a store that has supported all of us and that we all love visiting. So hello, Foxes, and uh, and we're just so happy that we're working with them tonight. So um, let's see. Uh, yeah, everyone here has had wonderful events with the Foxes. They go out of their way to take care of us and make sure that every event is special. And they will take good care of you out there too. Um, they are giving us 10% off of Karen Slaughter's The Silent Wife, as well as all of the Fab Five's recent books. And best of all, Foxtel has signed copies of Karen's books. So hurry before they're gone. Uh, the link to the bookstore is posted on the Friends and Fiction Facebook page. And 
And remember, you get that 10% off if you buy through that link. So Karen, without further ado, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Can you start by telling us a little bit about how you have been spending your time during this crazy pandemic? Uh, like this, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Like us. Um, yeah, all my my tours were uh, converted to virtual and then uh, publishers in other countries found out and they were like, hey, can you do that? And so I've been doing a lot. Um, and, you know, it's kind of good because usually if you want to be on uh, television in Auckland, you have to actually be there. But this way, everybody's doing it virtually, which is great. But then, you know, that's like... Uh, getting up at 3 a.m. basically because oh. it's, it's weird because they just they're not following our clock. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so bizarre. And it's like it's already tomorrow there and I'm like do you still have COVID? <laughs> <laughs> you're like COVID? no we got rid of that last week. Uh, you know, we took care of it. We're two islands. We can do that. <gasps> that is true. <laughs> <laughs> How, how has it been not being on the road to promote this book? I mean, I assume that for your other, your previous books, and you've done this so many times now, I assume you're out there interacting with fans, visiting bookstores. How has it been for you, aside from all the virtual events, just staying home? Well, it's hard. It's been hard because this is a, a seminal year for me, my 20th. And a <laughs> lot of the people, not semen, like semen, seminal, look it up. Um, but I... I usually see the same people all the time. And, you know, on one hand, it's really kind of shitty because they're like, recently they, they show up these women and they got babies and they're like, here's a picture of me when my mom brought me and I was a baby. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Um, I don't want to know how old I am. Why do you got to like show me photographic evidence that I have aged? Um, So maybe it's better for sales that I'm not out there. Uh, I don't know. But one thing I miss is like when you get on a plane and you're like, that's over. No, it is not. It's it's continuing. But it's good. I mean, honestly, I would be wearing the same clothes if I was touring. So it's not that much of a hard. I don't wear shoes. Um, When I'm touring, I do have to wear shoes. So that's. That's a big difference. We don't even have to actually get dressed from the waist down. As as far as you know, we're not nude from the waist down. Yeah. Um, Kind of made an agreement about that tonight, all of us. Yeah, it's weird though because you're like, "What's that on the floor?" Oh. Um, But you know, I've just been adjusting, and like Mary Kate Andrews, uh, who also has the alias, like from back when she was in prison, of Kathy. Yeah. Um, she lives right down the street from me and we still haven't seen each other. Yeah. The yeah. only time we see each other is when we do a photo shoot. They're like, oh, we need Atlanta artists or Atlanta. Th- those girls will show up. Let's get them here. <laughs> so it's usually her and me, Susan, Rebecca White, um, Natasha Treadaway, who's like, why am I with you losers? You know, I was like the poet laureate and I'm with you guys. <laughs> and we're like, you shouldn't have, you should have been in New York. Cause this is like the time. You're in the wrong place. It's your fault. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, um, unless, unless Patty comes, you know, then it like classes it up just a little bit. They, they don't realize I moved. So they just keep calling me to come. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's best case scenario. Yeah. Really? Sure. Right? Exactly. Yeah. The photos over there haven't figured out I moved yet. So it's all good. Speaking of Patty and we have Karen, we have a long list of questions for you tonight, which we're excited to get to. But um, Patty has some very exciting news. You, I believe, have a cover reveal for us for your brand new book, Surviving Savannah. Can you show it to us and tell us about it? I think Christy's going to pop it on the screen. Oh, you guys, that didn't look very good. Wait, wait. (laughs) That no, ah, so what's that? I am so excited. As everybody knows, like the book doesn't feel; it can feel really private for a really long time. <laughs> oh, sorry. It can feel really private for a really long time, and then when you get your cover, it's 
it's this public thing and it feels really, really real. So I'm really excited. It doesn't come out till March 9th of 2021, which sounds forever, but is actually around the corner. So it is about a ship, the luxury steamship Pulaski, that they call the Titanic of the South. And while she was carrying the elite of Savannah and Charleston North for the summer, she exploded. And she exploded about 30 miles off the coast of Wilmington, North Carolina. And three years ago, a shipwreck company found the remains of that ship and all the treasure on it. So that's what this book is about. And it's been a flurry of a day. I want to thank everyone who shared the cover. It's been, um, there's not a ton of good going on during COVID. And these are the kind of things that keep us going. So thanks, y'all. I'm really excited. It's a beautiful cover. And I just want to know when we're going to get to read what's behind that cover. Because that's what I'm most looking forward to. Well, it comes out March 9th, but you know how there'll be advanced reader copy giveaways and all kinds of stuff. So I can't wait. It looks amazing, Patty. And what a beautiful cover. Oh my gosh. She brought show and tell for my shipwreck book. (laughs) So I have to tell I I live in Beaufort, North Carolina, and people like really pride themselves as in like living life as a pirate. So this just makes me feel, I'm actually in my hometown today. So this like makes me feel, I don't even really notice that. I'm like, Oh yeah, it's just a pirate walking down the street. So <laughs> no, she, you see, Christy, you always think it's about you and your hometown and there's it, a parody. Mm-hmm. the shipwreck book. Yeah. 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 No yeah. Patty, is that, is that accurate period costuming? Is that what people were wearing on the ship? <laughs> um, no, but, but the, the pirates who came to get that ship might have, or the pirates who were looking for the treasure of that ship might have, but. Mm-hmm. Clearly, okay, tell clearly, me about your week, Kristen. How's it been for you this week? Can, can I first just suggest that the, your cover's all wrong and we need to remake it with Karen and her pirate hat on the, on the yes. cover? Karen, I'm yes. taking a screenshot. And oh, no, I do this quite often. I'm a, it's not cultural appropriation. I am legitimately a pirate. I often speak about pirates' rights, um, okay. especially in relation to healthcare. Like, if you go to the doctor, no matter what, you're going to get a peg, right? <laughs> and, got to, they've got to stretch their limits. And there's a one, well, there's a one peg limit. And don't get me started on vision. You're going to get an eye patch. No matter what, you're going to get an eye patch. So should we lobby for glass eyes? Is that what we should do? Yeah, yeah tell us. What are the platforms? <laughs> well, you know, mostly we're about, well, we're about two things, you know, healthcare and birds rights. Because um, <laughs> like, parody was on several ships that went down. That's parody with a D because he's not really a parrot. Um, so, you know, uh, that that's really what we're going for is like just bringing attention to the plight of being a pirate. I mean, the health healthcare, our life expectancy is about 30 years. Usually in a gallows. I'm right. I'm right walking, walking the plank. Walking the plank. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure they throw in burial for free, but you know, there's just a lot people don't understand. I'm sorry. I'm sure you cover all of this in your book. I do. I do. It's a lot about that kind of thing. But I got to tell you that without Mary and Mary here, we are off the rails and it's awesome. Okay. <laughs> what was your week like? Because like, I know you're worried about your kid going back to school, right? Yeah, Christy. What, oh, what I thought that was for me. I thought, I don't have a baby, do I? <laughs> it was that one night in high school. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Christy, what are, what are you thinking about that? When does school start up there for you? So school actually starts on Monday, which is crazy. So we're in Salisbury, which is where I grew up, um, North Carolina, not Maryland. Um, just for a few days, I went to see my grandmother today and, um, you know, just doing this like final wrap up before school starts things and went to my little, um, local bookstore, all masked up and everyone was, she was masked up and I was like signing her stock, which was kind of fun because it felt, I mean, it wasn't normal, obviously, and there was no one there, but the two of us, but it was kind of nice to like go sign books and, you know, like see your book in a bookstore. I mean, I was thinking yesterday, you know, normally we're on tour and so we're seeing our books everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And we really haven't seen them this year. So it's been kind of weird, but, um, but yeah, so we start Monday. It's a weird schedule. It's like two half days, no Wednesday, two half days. And then I kind of like they gradually will start back, but you know, who knows? And there's, we might be all virtual 
you know, short in short order where I'm, I'm preparing myself for that just in case. So what about you? Yeah. Um, as some of you guys out there know, I have a four-year-old and so he's um, in that sort of strange period where, the, where virtual isn't an option because he's in pre-K. Yeah. So that's not really a thing for pre-K in most places. Um, uh, and so we have decided to keep him home, at least at the beginning. Um, I, I'm in Florida where the cases are a little bit higher. Um, I, I'd just like to see the numbers come down a little bit um, and, you know, kind of see what happens. So um, yeah. we actually started, uh, technically school starts uh, a week from Monday, but we started this week with our my, my little insane, I can be a preschool teacher lesson plan. And you know what? It's really hard. Like I'm, I mean, yeah. this is not news to anybody, obviously, but it's, um, I, I am out of my depth and he's only four. So, I mean, I, I kudos to all of you teachers out there because that is a hard job. And yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do it. But, but all the well, homeschool you know, parents too. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. I, I didn't really, and we're so lucky because I mean, even when we were doing all this, we had full lesson plans. So it wasn't like yeah. I was trying to figure out what are we learning in math today? Like yeah. someone else was figuring it out, but um, it's different, but you know, that is what it is. So well, and, we'll and I out. think it's going to be such a strange beginning of the year for everybody that I think whatever your choice is, whether you stay, you go, you do half and half, whatever. Um, I think we're all kind of ultimately going to be on the same page and kids are yeah. so resilient that I think whatever choice we're making for them and with them, um, they're going to bounce back. So I think it'll all be fine. But what about wait, what's that? <laughs> pirates where do they yeah, wait, what do pirates do about yeah. their schooling in a pandemic well yeah. i mean this is great for us because it's like fresh <laughs> recruiting um that all these kids are being raised by depressed day drinkers um, so you know like 16 17 but actually you know? we love i don't like children though i have some very good recipes um but uh on a ship, they are fantastic because you can get three kids, like if they're little kids, not like the husky <laughs> ones, in place of like one pirate. Okay, and, we're going to talk if about you're your not book. working out. See ya. <laughs> Right. We're going to talk that, about your book. On that note, Karen, since we're a book show as opposed to a pirate show, which we, we're now going to consider changing direction because this is, but, yeah. And I got to tell you, I'm watching okay. the live feed and the whole thing is Karen has to join you every week. I know. You are absolutely invited. Very cheap. Very cheap. I'm just going to say that. So are we. We're free. Whatever. Exactly. Not that cheap. (laughs) High school. Karen, do you want to tell us a little bit about The Silent Wife? Sure. It's about uh, 500 pages. Um, It's like uh, one of those crimes from the past haunting the present day which i love that they call them like sins of the father crime there's no father in this um but uh i get to bring together my character jeffrey tolliver from uh eight years previous um and actually it's not eight years it's more than that but i get to lie because it's fiction uh but uh he's from my grant county series and uh he's worked this case and in the present day, Will Trent uh, goes to prison, not for like criminal means. He's like there to investigate. He's a cop. Okay. And uh, so he gets there and this inmate says, hey, I didn't do it. Which, you know, you don't often find inmates going, yeah, dog, you got me. I should totally be here. Um, <laughs> so he was he's a little skeptical, but then he starts looking into it. And he's like, holy crap, you may not be guilty of this crime. And also... The cop who put you here is the ex-husband of my current girlfriend. Ah. Mayhem ensues. There's a lot of sex and violence. So if you like that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a, it was a fun book to write. I really enjoyed it. I hope people are enjoying reading it. Uh, and if you're not, I don't want to hear about it. Don't put it on Amazon. <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say, just don't it. say it. Right? Don't yeah. say it online. Because yeah. 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 I will... Find out who you are. And, and if you're going to say it online, just don't, don't tag us. Don't yeah, say so it. I don't want to. I don't want to know. Review. I don't want to <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah. I had that happen once in an elevator uh, where this guy is like at, at VoucherCon or something. And he said, wow, you got a really bad review. That was like one of the worst reviews I've ever read. And I'm like, okay. Like I'm stuck in an elevator with you, dude. And, uh, you know, so I did like the really adult thing. I, um, I got off and as the doors were closing, I was like, (laughs) 
As, of course, exactly. Yeah. Was. If we don't want to hear it. Don't tag me. Don't let me know. Don't, exactly. don't, don't stop me in an elevator to tell me about it either. Right. Well, no I'm not going to be in an elevator anytime soon. So I'm yeah, not no kidding. There you go. Know. That is a silver lining to not being in an elevator right there. That's right. No, no one reminding you of your bad reviews. Exactly. Well, so Karen, every night or every Wednesday night in the show, we all like to ask a question of our guest. Um, and tonight, actually, not only do you have the three of us asking questions, but um, Mary Alice and Mary Kay have left questions to ask you. So Christy, did you want to start? I believe you had Mary Alice's question. Yes. Yeah, so this is for Mary Alice. All of us on Friends and Fiction support libraries. You, Karen, are an uber supporter. I was so impressed how you are the founder of the Save the Libraries project, which has to date raised more than $300,000. Is it, do you pronounce, pronounce it DeKalb County? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, I just I thought so, but when I saw it, I was like, mm, I'm gonna say it wrong. For the DeKalb County, Georgia Library Foundation. A quote I pulled from you, as charitable citizens, we must invest in our library down the street so that the generations serviced by that library grow up to be adults who contribute to not just their local communities, but to the world. What inspired you to begin the foundation and to be such a force for good? Um, wow, that really sounds like contrary to how I've presented myself tonight. <laughs> <laughs> like articulate, professional. Um, Busted. Well, I mean, we all grew up in the libraries, right? I mean, we yeah. all, that's where we got our start. And that's where I got, you know, Daphne du Maurier, Patricia Highsmith. I'm going to be honest, I was totally into incest, love flowers in the attic. Um, not at home, just in my reading. Mm -hmm. um, loved um, the sequel to Flowers in the Attic. Still with my brother. We're going to have children. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I loved the library and in 08 libraries took a huge hit and I thought, Hey, let's, let's do what we can, uh, to raise money for them. And I did a fundraiser, uh, Mary Kay Andrews was there. I was like, Hey, you know, you want to meet me at the library? I've got a bottle of wine and she showed up and I'm like our special guest tonight. <laughs> and I did the same thing with a, a brick of heroin and Catherine Stockett was there. Um, so, you know, we all, we, we did this fundraiser, but we realized when you raise money like that for a library at a fundraiser, it just pays for itself. I was like, well, yeah, that sucks. Why don't we just give them the money? So what we do is we give block grants to libraries. Um, and authors have been really generous, like donating names and, you know, it's not like you're asking for Nambla, you know, they're, they're like totally there. They're willing to support libraries. We all want to give back. Um, and you know, ch it's children who read, do better in school, they get better jobs, they pay higher taxes. Yeah. Uh, that's like a really, anybody can understand that. I mean, it's like such a small amount of money to invest in the future. And I think that we should be doing that. And as we come out of the pandemic, we should be looking really carefully at what services that we, we, we're gonna have to cut some stuff, but we should not just say, well, libraries, that's just for fun, because it's not. Because kids need libraries so much more now than ever. Uh, and it's, it's all about the, being the backbone of our education system. And you know, Babies get like nine months in the womb. They cannot even grow a full head, right? So like they're starting out with a deficit. So we should give them libraries as a safe place so that their heads can finish growing. <laughs> That's just science. Mm -hmm. we, should have quoted, we should have quoted that instead of the... Absolutely. That was a whole thing about being a charitable citizen. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> grow their heads to grow their heads. Can I share a story like a an Algonquin roundtable story yes. about Please. some writers? Please. Because you're from Salisbury, uh, or you're in Salisbury, and that reminded me. So I was at this um, dinner party with Fidelis Morgan, who's written a great book, a series of books about the Countess. Mm -hmm. Um and historical fiction, and Celia Emery, who's an amazing actress, Shakespearean trained, and Sarah Waters. And so we're all just sitting around talking, and, you know, I'm like, which, which one of these people doesn't belong here first, right? So I'm just sitting there trying to be really quiet, and Sarah said, so what are you doing tomorrow? Because I was in England on tour. 
And I said, I've got to go to Salisbury. And she said, Salisbury. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to the bathroom. And I, I stayed in the bathroom for the rest of the party. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a fun fact about Salisbury. Um, Salisbury is our sister city. And my dad was mayor for a long time. So there are bronze plaques in, in our city hall, in Salisbury City Hall of like the, the both of the um, the city councils and mayors and stuff in the two towns. It's pretty neat. But Salisbury is beautiful. <laughs> Well, you know what? If Sarah Waters ever comes there, you give her a what for? Say, <laughs> Salisbury. Salisbury. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Patty, did you want to ask her? <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Patty. So Kathy left me, Mary Kay Andrews left me her question. She said, you write some really good, really scary <laughs> books. The Silent Wife starts out with a brutal murder, murder of a nice little co-ed with a hammer. True. But sometimes your books have a happy ending. How does that happen? How do you find such light in such a dark and dangerous world? First, I'd like to um, congratulate Kathy on reading the back of my jacket. (laughs) (laughs) She was a special guest in the middle of one of my touring events. And she's like, congratulations on the silent woman. She was already drunk when she got there and she just drank the whole, it was only 10 minutes and she just drank like one after the other. Um, so anyway, well, it sounds like she read it now. So I don't know who prepped that question for you, but way to go. Um, yeah, you know, I do. I think I I write all kinds of stories like historical fiction or love stories or, um, beach stories. No offense. Don't worry, ladies. Um, you know, like Pieces of Her was in a beach town. And so I, I think I write all kinds of stories, maybe because of my name or because of the unflinching way I look at crime or the procedural element of a lot of my books. They just say thriller writer. But I'm really happy because thrillers sell a lot. I mean, if you're going to be in a genre, it's a really good genre to be in. But, but like Love and Death are really big sellers, especially right now. So, um, and I love big commercial fiction. I mean, I'm not one of these writers with a chip on my shoulder uh, about being in a genre, except for just saying that right now. Um, but I, I embrace the, the title. I just, I love big commercial fiction and that's what I try to write. And I try to make it entertaining and appealing to everybody. And also, I think when you write about really difficult things, you have to have some balance and lightness. And yep. I really yeah. try to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting that people sometimes do try to reduce you if you write in, in a genre. I mean, I feel like that happens kind of to all of us to some extent, right? And and what's wrong with writing books that people want to read? I've always thought that's an amazing, an amazing thing to be able to do. And, you know, I, I've always also thought that, if you're getting people reading, you're doing so much good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, I you know. know, it's the it's the vagina stigma because if it's anything that women are doing well or enjoying, then it must not be as legitimate. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and I just I we know who our readers are. I mean, eighty five percent of all fiction buyers are readers. Are are readers? Are women? <laughs> yes. Well, some of them are just trying to show off. Um, I was like, "What are the other fifteen percent?" <laughs> like, okay, not readers. So you know, Degrading. so we know who our audience is. It's us. Uh, and I don't think there's as much of a stigma as there was when I first started yeah, out, especially yeah, I agree. writing this kind of crime. Um, yeah, yeah. I think people are like, hey, I really like this. I'm interested in it. It was like yeah. WAP before it was even WAP. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. So, um, so I, I, I have a question for you also. I am really interested in your research. Um, I, I would not even begin to know how to tackle 
writing a thriller. I write historical fiction. I do a ton of research for that, but I think it's a completely different thing. And I've read that now you have a reliable network of Georgia Bureau of Investigation agents, retired cops, doctors, people like that who can help answer your questions, help, you know, flesh things out for you. Um, but what about at the beginning when you were researching your first novel, Blindsided, which you must have written about, I think you said 20 years ago, what did you do then and how has that evolved over the years? Well, my aunt, when I was growing up, actually my step aunt, but you don't need to know about that. Um, <laughs> she was the chief of detectives in the town next to ours. And so wow. I saw just how horrible it is to be a police officer, but also a female police officer, because she would go to work and do this really difficult job. And, you know, she would deal with people who didn't have respect for police officers, but then she'd go back to the station and the men there were just as awful, if not more awful. Wow. Because, you know, at least she could arrest the people who were being <laughs> shitty to her, right? But these guys were just unusually cruel. And you think, what little, little men that they can't tolerate a woman in their midst doing this job, right? So that they're so threatened that they do these awful things to her. Um, and so that was really interesting to me because I thought, why would you do this job? And the reason why women do this job is because they love it. And also, it's one of the few jobs where you get, one, pay parity, Right you get paid the same amount as the guys because you're doing the same job. And two, you have freedom, right? If you're, if you have some, some autonomy as a police officer and, you know, we give police officers a ton of um, leeway, sometimes for good effects, sometimes for bad, but, you know, but the nature of the job is they have a tremendous amount of power, and, you know, there's report after report about how judiciously women use this power. If you look at, we, we spend billions of dollars settling overuse of force lawsuits, right? And women are around 17% of the force, but they're less than 3% of these suits. Oh, wow. So if, if you hired more women, just think of the money you would save. I mean, their arrest is the same, you know, except they go out and they don't do what a lot of men do, which is, you know, their testosterone ramps up because they see someone who's being threatening and their response is to be threatening back. Mm -hmm. And women, a woman's response is just like, you know, let's talk. What are you upset about? What are you doing? You know, and they get them in the back of the car, but they don't get slapped with a lawsuit. So, you know, that's something that's, that's really been strange to me when we're talking about, well, one, defunding the police, which we've been doing with education for years and no one's really been upset about that. Um, but, you know, we should fund them in a more logical, statistic-driven way. And women are just cheaper. I mean, like, across the board, women are generally cheaper. Um, no offense to uh, Mary Kay. But, you know, it, it just seems like we would be looking at these sorts of things when we talk about how to better reform the police. And we actually did that in the 1970s. Uh, the federal government said, hey, we're going to give you a lot of money if you hire more women and more, more minorities. And they're like, yeah, we'll do it for the money, but we still get to be racist and sexist, right? And they're like, sure, sure, just hire more of them, right? Which is why, you know, Atlanta had like, the first African-American female chief of police, African-American female sheriff. I mean, it was just like really concentrated because we had a, a mayor named Maynard Jackson who was like, hey, white power structure in Atlanta, we're gonna get millions of dollars if we do this. So let's do this. And they're like, okay, for millions of dollars, we will lower our racism and sexism just enough, right? So that, I mean, that that's, but that's the sort of thing that you learn from research. And I love incorporating that kind of research into my books. And I do have a network of people. I've got some old retired, I shouldn't call them old, like they're in their <laughs> early sixties. That's not old, especially where I'm sitting, but they're retired. Uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation or Atlanta Police Department women. Um, and they're really been, they've been generous with their time and told me how they feel because cops think differently from normal people, which is by necessity. Um, and I have a doctor who's been with me from the second book who get, gives me medical advice. And I try to make Sarah's stuff as authentic as I can. And, and you know, it's just pulling it all together 
weaving it into the story. So it's not when you're reading it, oh, here's the research. Here's yeah. the story. Here's yeah. the reason. I mean, just threading that in. And I love historical fiction, actually. It's, it's one of my passion reads. Um, I've got the Emma Donahue up next. And I loved um, Eric Larson, The Splendid in the Vile, also the name of his sex tape. Um, just because I love history. I love everything about it. So I like writing it, too. Yeah, I do, too. Writing it and reading it. It's one of just being able to learn when someone researches a book very well, being able to learn that period of history while enjoying it is, I think, a really special, special thing to be able to do. Um, Christy, did you have a question of your own to ask, Karen? I do. Um, and now that, you know, we've been having this conversation, I'm really, I want to change my question just a little bit because I'm really, really interested to hear this. Um, so obviously, no, this is just really interesting to me. So you're obviously a very prolific writer. You have so many accolades and awards and you are clearly in the right spot. But if you weren't a writer, what do you think you would be doing with your life? Uh, other well, than being a pirate. Other, well, than, other than being right. a pirate. Well, yeah. Kind of well, I mean, honestly, that. at my age, I'd be dead, right? <laughs> I would have like got <laughs> a cut and just died or syphilis. Um, so, uh, you know, I, w I don't think I would have amounted to much because I barely graduated high school. Um, I was a smart ass. I'm just going to be honest about that. That's uh, shocking. We know, how you I wasn't stupid, <laughs> but I was literally too smart for my own good, where I was just constantly getting in trouble. Um, and, you know, even today, people don't believe that I weirdly that I'm a successful writer. Like they'll say, I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm a writer. And they're like, oh, uh, are you self-published? <laughs> you know? Or um, like people come like people who are at my house. I have a nice house. You know, I have like jackets framed in my office from books that have been like number one all over the world. And then, you know, I'll write something that's in the Atlanta Journal and they'll say, wow, did you write that? That's pretty good. I'm like, dude, do you see these? This is like, what do you think's going on here? Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I guess an answer to your question, I'm not very believable as a writer, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know what I'd be doing. I know, I know one thing I would not be doing because I remember this very clearly when I graduated from high school, first, my dad was like, whew, close one. <laughs> but then he's like, cause I, I did go to college. I dropped out, which if you're going to do that, write a book. Um, but so he said to me, I'm so proud of you. And I want you to know you can do anything you want with your life, but you can never, ever move back home. And that was like a really uh, swift kick in the pants because that totally derailed my struggling writer, um, but not struggling too much uh, plan. So, uh, you know, I, I had all kinds of jobs. My sister had a friend who owned a pest control company and I worked for him for a little while, um, but it was a drug front. Uh, and then I painted houses That's with an, a feminist all-women crew. I've never been so sexually harassed in my entire life. Like wow. every day, I was just like painting going, oh, my God, please don't talk to me about butt plugs again. Uh, <laughs> and then I, um, I worked at a sign company. And I liked that. And I, I started a sign company. And actually, I, uh, I owned a sign company for many years. And I... And I realized, oh, my God, every single year I get older. It's not stopping. And I wanted to be published by the time I was 30. And so I sold my business and I worked for a very good friend of mine who's a wonderful man uh, in exchange for being able to be concentrate more on writing. But if that hadn't worked out, I don't know, prison? <laughs> it's a big question. I think we all were glad it worked out. No kidding, right? Yeah. Uh, Patty, did, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Patty, yeah, go did, ahead. do you have a question? The question that we'd love to ask our guests? Yeah. So we have this one question, Karen, that we love to ask everybody. And hearing you start to talk about your dad, I know I've heard you talk about your dad telling scary stories to you and your sister. So I want you to talk about that. But 
The question we ask everyone, which I love, is what the values of reading and writing were in your home growing up? Because I want to know how that is for you in the context of writing today. Was the reading and writing important to your parents or was the storytelling? Did it have like a direct impact on what you do now? Uh, this is how much reading and writing was were in my home. We were like, wow. my parents bought the books because they had the bookshelf and they like, they, they were just sitting there and they were the right color. Wow. Um, yeah, my dad, I mean, my dad encouraged me from the get go, but it was really weird. I've always been weird, you know, and it was just, the thing is people who are weird, they don't want to be weird. So they're not like, I'm weird, but you know, I'm at that age where I'm like, okay, damn it. I know I'm weird. Uh, and my dad really embraced that. And, you know, I got in trouble in school a lot. Like, um, Remember when those like baby on board? Yeah. Signs? Well, I thought it'd be really funny to make it say dead baby on board. <laughs> and I parked it in the parking lot at school. And that was like my, my dad had his own parking space up there. And they're like, you know, Howard, he's like, okay, I'll be up there. Um, I have my lunchbox here. I taped a picture of Marilyn Monroe after the autopsy onto it. That was one. <laughs> And I remember, like, it was that. And I'm like, I'm making a comment on beauty, Dad. <laughs> um, and my dad looked at the principal and he said, look, she's weird. We know wow. she's weird. And this shit's going to keep happening. And stop calling me up here for it. You know? Awesome. And so that was like, that was a relief, you know, to have it just out there in the open. And, and have him in my corner. But he was the one who said... You want to be at the library? We'll take you to the library. He loved that. He had a really hard life. He grew up dirt poor, like literally sleeping on the dirt in a shack that the family squatted in. So that he was able to have a daughter who was that lazy was sort of a compliment to his hard work. Um, <laughs> but also he loved my stories because I'm the youngest of three girls. So my earlier work was about my sisters being mutilated or being murdered. And I mean, they weren't mysteries because nobody cared. Um, they, they were more like, you know, happy endings because I was an only child. And uh, so I would write these stories and he would give me a quarter every time I wrote them. Um, my demographic was squarely above the age of 30 because my sisters hated them. Um, and so I was just encouraged from a very young age to write about really brutal things. I have my dad to thank for that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I can take, see your success. Like, is your dad still with you? Is he able to see your success? Oh, yes, yes. No, he's, yeah, he's still around, alive and kicking. That's he loves awesome. it. And, you know, he's a great dad. He had three girls. And his mother was in a horrible, abusive relationship with my grandfather, uh, who is no longer with us. And we're very happy about that. I mean, he was just an awful human being. And so my dad made sure we all understood money. Well, I mean, we're, we've all been self-employed, um, that we all uh, understood how electricity worked and how plumbing worked and just like a basic knowledge of things so we wouldn't get ripped off. And he made us open up our first banking accounts that were in our names. And, you know, so he, that was really important to him. It's, and as an author, you know, you don't think about that, but you're, you're self-employed. You're running your own business. You got to keep up with that stuff, the business end of stuff. And you have to understand it enough so that if you're successful enough to have money, that you don't lose it because somebody says, hey, I can take care of everything for you. You know, so it just it, he gave us a really strong foundation in like the manly arts that women just generally weren't taught when I was growing up. And his his mother certainly wasn't taught that. That's awesome. That's great. Like yeah. A, yeah. Really interesting. Dad, that's awesome. Um, yeah, OK, don't want to date him, but uh, <laughs> no. no, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a good looking guy. I mean, he gets, yeah, it's a thing. So um, this is great. I feel like we could talk about all of these things all night. This is wonderful, but we love, oh, look who's coming in. Look who's showing up. 
Oh, right in the nick of time. <laughs> so as we're waiting for Mary Kay to get here, I just wanted to remind you about Foxtail Books, our bookseller of the week. They are offering a 10% discount on Karen's and our new releases. Um, the link is on the Friends and Fiction Facebook group page. So order from Foxtail and you support the author, the bookstore, and the literary community, which is a win-win-win. And you get a discount and a signed book to boot. And who do we have here? Oh, <laughs> Oh, look, it's the silent woman. <laughs> it's the silent woman with a prop. They've never heard me silent before, Karen. No. None what of did you all have. talk about? Did you talk about me, Annie? Yes, I asked your question. And it was, it, was, it, was, it was a really rich and deep and profound answer that Karen gave. So. She refused to answer it, didn't she? Yeah, she did. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. Welcome back, Mary Kay. Kathy, we are happy to see you. We were actually just about to get to um, the part of our program where we ask reader questions or viewer questions, people out there who are listening and watching. So we pulled a few ahead of time and we'll also be pulling some from the live feed. So if you have a question for Karen, um, post it now. Uh, Patty's keeping an eye out for them. But Christy, did you want to read a couple of the ones uh, that we pulled ahead of time? Yes, absolutely. Um, so the first one is from Rose Deloach, and she said that in the book, you state every year there are over 300,000 reported cases of missing girls and women. Um, and this is obviously a horrific fact, and she just wanted you to illuminate that a little bit. Well, you know, fortunately, a lot of them come back. And, and that's also unfortunate in a way because it skews that statistic in a way that a lot of police officers take a sit and wait approach, especially when it's a, a young girl or a woman of color. Um, you know, so it, it it's something that can work against us in ways. And, you know, you understand when over half of them are going to return or be found or, you know, stranger abductions are very rare, but it, it you would think they'd be on more of a war footing. And that's actually kind of a pet peeve of mine lately. It's like, okay, well, we got that statistic. We get the fact that every year, almost a quarter of a million women report being raped, right? And that's just who reports it. That's 18 and over. And that's just what the FBI keeps as far as statistics, because, you know, most police forces are really, really small and they don't report a lot of their statistics ac accurately. And a lot of police forces, they're like, nah, she wasn't raped. We're not even going to investigate that we're not going to file a report you know so we've as a society we just accept a certain level of violence against women whether it's domestic violence sexual assault harassment um you know some of us especially kathy well kathy you're almost over that hump right because from the age of like 18 until you're about 90 50, like me well, 50, 40 or 50, one of the main reasons, like statistically, that you could die is going to be homicide, yeah. wow. right? Usually from an intimate partner. Yeah. Um, and you're more likely to be a victim of rape. And so that statistic dies down until you get into the Kathy years, and then it, like, shoots back up. So I'm, like, in the sweet spot Right now, I'm nearing that sweet spot between rape and murder and, you know, but that's just what we live with. And we're like, oh, it happens. What are you going to do? You know, we get we get airplanes hitting towers, which were that was awful and, of course, shocking and, and so such a profound loss of life. But the number of lives lost and then subsequently with the wars that's not even the, close to the number of women that are killed by intimate partners just in like the last five years are abused or, and we're like, eh, what are you going to do? You know what? We have a war on drugs, but we don't have a war on violence against women. And part of that is because a lot of men who are in charge, it works great for them. You know, yeah. I mean, you look at some of these guys, they grew up during Jim Crow why would they want to change anything? It works great. I mean, if I was part of the patriarchy, I'd be like, screw you bitches. You know, this is great. You're not getting any of this, but. Yeah, you look at the 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 cop down in St. Simons. Right. Who yeah. the, the police basically covered up for him. Um, he had threatened his estranged wife and her boyfriend and the judge didn't take it seriously. 
And the cops didn't take it seriously until he went out and killed his wife and her boyfriend and then himself. Yep. After the cops, after the cops chased him. But, you know, 40% of all police officers have had a charge of domestic violence against them. Yeah. And let's say, okay, 20, let's, let's, let's just half it. Let's say half of them are lying, which isn't even statistically possible. That's 20%. And they have badges. I mean, why are we, why do we live with this? We're 51% of the population. Why are we living with it? Yeah. I mean, I've known, I've known some really good cops and they've helped me a lot with research over the years. And it's certainly not everybody, but when you put people in power that have their own issues. Right. But you know, that's the thing, Kathy, it's kind of like saying not all men. Right. We should, what we know that it's like, we're starting at a baseline that this is not everybody, I think. And, and, and not to like jump on you about it. And I feel really bad because this is your show, even though you bailed on me, but whatever, (laughs) you know, but yeah, of course there are good cops. Yeah. There, there, of course there are, but what are we doing to stop the bad cops? And of course there are good men, but Hey, good men, stop these guys from raping and killing us. Yeah. Just stand up to it. Yeah. Um, Patty, did you want to pull one quick question from the live question? It doesn't involve rape. I know, right? You know what you were getting. You knew what you were getting. No, I was actually just thinking this. If this is so great, because every every Wednesday we have something totally different, and this is totally different. I love it, Karen. Keep going. This is great. Um, I mean, I'm scrolling through the live questions, and 90% of them are about how much fun you are, and will you have a drink with them in Atlanta? (laughs) That's for my college roommate. Then we've got um, there's. Lots of people wanting to know what's going to happen to your characters next. So we're not going to let you answer that. But one thing I think is really interesting, and you kind of hit on it when we were talking earlier about what we would do if we weren't writing. And it's um, what would you tell your younger writer self today? When you first started writing, what would you tell your younger writer self today? You will get more contracts. (laughs) That's like a big, that's a big worry, right? Yeah. When you first start out, it's like, I, I had a three book deal, so I didn't start sweating until the second one. And then right. I just worried and worried and worried and worried. And like, and knowing that you're going to have more publication contracts gives you a freedom as a writer yeah. because people don't think about, we do this, we love doing this. And in Kathy's, um, position she wrote for years with very little pay at a place called the Atlanta Journal so she knows I mean we're not doing it for the big bucks but we do have mortgages and things so taking that worry out of the equation I think lets you write more freely and and you know there's so much to worry about when you write a book about pleasing people you know I don't think about my readers when I'm writing Mm. but I am aware in a way because uh, I remember what it felt like when I first was a college student for that, that very brief time, um, you know, and I was poor and I would save up to buy a hardcover book from my favorite author yeah, and I read it. And so I've, I've, I've spent so many hours working cause I made like $4 an hour. And then, you know, I, I had to work those hours and then I spent my precious time reading this book. And if the author just kind of phoned it in, I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell, man? You know, yeah. this is my life you're messing with. And I love your work. And so I never want anybody to feel like I'm just phoning it in. I got to do something different each time. And I have to feel proud about what I'm doing because I it is a craft. And I want to get better with each book. And I want each book to be more difficult to write because that's where you learn how to be a writer. So, but taking that stress out, am I going to get another contract or, you know, am I going to be able to feed my cats? That sort of thing is very meaningful. So I would say to my younger self, you know, um, yeah, you'll get at least, you'll have at least 20 books. And you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So someone just asked, I got to, I got to tell this one. Michelle Marcus just asked. Are Kathy, are Mary Kay Andrews and Karen really good friends? Because Karen's really teasing her. <laughs> I need to tell everyone you guys live yeah, How long have I known you, Kathy? Like 3,000 years? Like some feels like it to me. Yeah. We live close. We live for, geographically. We don't live far apart. But you know, I, we never see each other. 
Writers have very yeah. isolated lives. Mm-hmm. So it's like when we come out of our caves, we did come out of our caves back before the pandemic, right, Karen? We met for drinks and lunch with a couple of the local writers. Oh, that's right. Who was yeah. that? That was Josh. And uh, Jocelyn, yeah, it was with Jocelyn and um, Lynn Cullen and um, Susan Rebecca White and Susan Rebecca White. Yeah, it was. Yeah. We've met at Leon's and it was it was really good fun. But, you know, we, it isn't I love the idea that we're all going to manuals, which is the writer hangout in Atlanta. I love the idea that we're all going to go to manuals. We're going to sit in the back room and toss back some cold ones and talk about craft. But the reality is. We're going right back into our caves. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Speaking of the writing cave, we are getting very close to running out of time. But Karen, we just wanted to ask you quickly, do you have a writing tip um, for our listeners out there? We always like to give kind of a quick writing tip that they can take home and and use. Just a tip. (laughs) Just a tip. Yeah. Um, You know, it seems like I'm being kind of an asshole, Um, but... Maybe I am. You okay. are. Um, but just do it, right? You know, we all have this, this a reader come up and say, I got a great idea for a book. You write it and we'll split the profits. And it's like, um, you know, the idea is actually not the hard part. Yeah. It really isn't. Everybody, like everybody has at least one idea for a book or like the opening of a book or whatever. And it's figuring out how to express it through a storyline and how to hang it on characters people care about and how the plot's going to fit together. And if you're writing a thriller, how the misdirects are going to work. And, you know, it's a, it, you have to really sit down and write it. And that is the hard part, right? It's like, you know, I'll, I'll talk about Sarah Waters again. Cause I mean, she's actually a friend of mine, except for rudely correcting me at a dinner party. But she told me, everybody always asks where I get my ideas, and I just steal them. I'm not allowed to say that. And I'm like, I'm going to tell everybody you said that, and I have. But it it really is not the idea. I mean, if you think about crime and punishment, I mean, it's about a freaking piece of bread. Chinatown, water rights, who cares? You know, it's just, it's the characters and the story and how you fit it all together. And that is the work of being a writer. And if you want to be a published writer, or if you, if you want to just be a really good writer, sit down and figure out how to do it. And that is just the tip. Yeah, such, <laughs> such good advice. Thank you. Uh, Christy, did you want to tell us a little bit about the newsletter, which we announced last week? Yes. Um, so la- sorry. And the home phone is ringing. I forgot that those still happen. Um, (laughs) Last week, we announced our newsletter, and the response was phenomenal. Um, So if you want to subscribe, our sign-up is on our Friends in Fiction Facebook page, um, and also our website, which is www.friendsinfiction.com. It's just one more way for us to connect with you. It's filled with a special Q&A with our guest of the week, um, our notice of events, and this week's spotlight is on Mary Alice Monroe. So those of you who had already subscribed definitely got a treat. Great. And I also wanted to just give you all a reminder that the book club um, is meeting for the second time. The Friends and Fiction Official Book Club is meeting for the second time this Monday night. Last month, they got to um, talk about Hello Summer by Mary Kay Andrews. And this month, they're going to be talking about the Book of Lost Names, my book. So I will be joining them Monday night at seven o'clock on the Friends and Fiction Official Book Club page. We'll save spoilers until the end because I know some of you still have not been able to find the book. I'm so sorry about that. It's hopefully going to be back in stock really soon, um, everywhere, hopefully. But um, join us there. And, and we'll talk about the book. I'll take your questions. Brenda and Michelle are doing a great job over there. Make sure to join that book club. And we'll put that link up on the Friends and Fiction official uh, or on the Friends and Fiction Facebook group page. So that is our program for tonight. It always goes by so fast. I thought, you know, with fewer of us here, we were going to have so much space to fill. But I feel like we could talk for three more hours and we wouldn't be done. So this was so good. Really. And Karen, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, and again, congratulations on your new novel and hitting the New York Times list right out of the gate. It's such a high spot. That's wonderful. We're so happy for you. Um, and to all of you who are joining us tonight, remember, if you ever miss an episode, you can catch it on our website, Friends and 
fiction.com. I speak for all of us when I say we are delighted that you choose to spend your Wednesday nights with us, or if you're watching later, we're thrilled that you've come back and found us. So please join us in the Friends in Fiction Facebook group page and meet us back here on Friends in Fiction next week when our guest will be our dear friend, Christina McMorris. Thanks again, Karen, and good night, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you, Karen. Bye, Karen. Bye. I know where you live. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Watch out for those cookies. <laughs> <laughs>
Like we, we are never expecting that we're going to write a book and it's just put out in the world and it's going to sell a bunch of copies. And I mean, for sure, that's something that was always instilled in me. And it was, you know, except for this morning, except for this morning, except for this morning, when you were, mom and I were having coffee and the kid was mad in the bed with you. Then your sister forgot to wake up. I just, I had all these excuses. But I finally got my acknowledgement. Then your time. invisible dog chewed the cord to the computer. Yes. <laughs> Somebody was like, next you're going to blame it on your dog. And I was like, well, I don't have one, but I'm not going to tell y'all. <laughs> oh, that was so much fun. That was, it was, fun. I'm sorry it I was, it, but I'm glad I got in the very last. I'm glad you got to pop back you in. Love to- yeah, me too, especially because of the friendship you two share. But you'll have to watch it later. It was, I, uh, I, I love how every, I, I, you know what? I love how every week um, we just pivot to something slightly different. And that was such a, just yeah. such a joy. It was, it was different. It was a different voice for us. And I loved it. It was great. She was fantastic. I'm happy she, Mary Kay, she talked about you a lot. You were on the show without being on the show. Uh oh. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> All right, girl. Right. My husband cooked me dinner, so I'm going to go um, have dinner. But yes, I will see you all at approximately 6:45, unless Christy has some other lame excuse. I mean, I know, I know. I'm the queen of that. We should start making a list of Christy's lame excuses in like one long document. Yeah, like tomorrow, exactly. it's like I have to leave at 7 a.m. to drive to a book event. I know. I know it's such a bad excuse, but you could do what Patty does and get up an extra hour early. That will never happen. That will never happen. (laughs) Even if I have to get on a plane or a car, I, mm -mm. I I am happy as a clam to write at midnight to make up for it, but not at 5 a.m. Okay. Well, we'll see you at midnight, girlfriend. See you at midnight. I'll get home at at 1145 tomorrow night. And I will write it then. And I will text all of you. Okay. (laughs) Good night. Good night, y'all. My night, everybody. (laughs) I know. So much laughter. Good night. You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye! Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.